Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Well, this is indeed a pleasure to have my gorgeous wife, Nancy, in studio with me. Uh, She has been on a mission, a Clara Barton Florence Nightingale mission to rescue a plant that all of us forgot about. In the entrance and exit to WABC, I, had, I hadn't really even noticed it. I think most of us here hadn't noticed it. Nancy, could you uh, describe to everyone out there what you did the other day and what you've been doing in a Clara Barton Florence Nightingale attempt ever since with that plant? Um, so I was walking out the door. I hadn't seen this plant before either, but it was a, I think it was a little bit of a sign it was sitting in the corner, and I think every leaf on it is pretty much done for. And on the floor next to it is a book that, believe it or not, says water. So I took that as a sign that it was asking for some help. So I put it into a room that has a window. I cleaned off all the dead leaves, and I think there's a couple roots that are still active. So we're, we're going to try to revive it. Now, will you have to perform like a dentist uh, root canal on this uh, plant? Uh, at this point, I'm I'm hoping there's still something there alive. Um, maybe something will come back to. But I think once the the sunlight's on it, because it was behind a door, but I mean, it had no sunlight. I'm, I'm surprised it's still there. Well, we have talk show hosts and hostesses that are like that. You know, we could scrape the barnacles off their backside, take them out of the corner, and they do the same show every day, the same way, endlessly. Maybe we'll have the plant come in. You know, plants do feel pain. And do talk. I know. I know. This, this should be a subject for Frank Morano on the other side at midnight. How plants feel pain and plants do communicate. And shame on all of us. We were here. This was like a form of arborside, even though that's about trees. But it was a form of allowing this plant to just die in front of all of us, and we didn't do anything. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a bit sad. However, I think it's still a possibility. But I don't know how it wound up there. It's it seemed like it was hanging out by the lockers, and it's been there for a long time. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can revive this. Anyway, uh, that is the mission that my wife Nancy Clara Barton, aka Florence Nightingale. And by the way, I told my wife Nancy that I lost the history contest, the Borough Wide contest, when I was in. Uh, Sixth grade at PS 114, we had the borough-wide contest at Brooklyn College. It was a Friday night. 
place was packed, parochial schools, private schools, and public schools. I was in second place, and I was asked a question in which the answer was Florence Nightingale, and I answered Clara Barton and lost the contest. Yeah, it still haunts you. (sighs) So we got it. Our new mission is Save the Plant. Yes. Save the Plant. plant. It's not the plant you're thinking of, marijuana. No, we're saving the plant. This is not horticulture. This is not where you uh, basically grow uh, uh, weed in your basement or in your backyard or in a potted plant. But anyway, let's move on because uh, the one issue that is biggest on the minds of all of our animal welfare listeners, and in fact, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, had another great interview about the whales, the diminishment of the whales and the dolphins off the Jersey Shore and the South Shore of Long Island. Uh, It was a seven-minute interview in which the expert was explaining, Nancy, why with the construction of these supersized windmills, 13 miles offshore and six miles offshore, each of them the size of the Chrysler building, why the construction and the way they searched for the location to embed them into the, the floor of the ocean is causing uh, whales and dolphins to lose their ability to navigate in the high seas. Do you have any updates at all on that? Well, I mean, at this point, there haven't been any stories that have made the mainstream media in terms of, uh, you know, whale bodies washing on shore. Although we did have someone reach out to us um, on social media and the source of like where they're getting the information is further out in the ocean. So I think that there's actually um, certain monitors that happen. So now it may be that we're only going to be hearing the stories when they wash up on shore. But there is a lot of um, whale, unfortunately, carcasses that are um, washing up, uh, you know, that are continuing to get hit in the ocean itself Um, in terms of uh, anything new. It's just a continuation of, uh, you know, sort of lacking sort of to connect these two things together. And the necropsies are taking a long time. When they do come back, it's just blunt force trauma. I mean, so, again, it's this, you know, continuation to, like, say that they're not connected, but clearly very connected. Well, we promised a full court press on the whale and dolphin issue, uh, the way they're being diminished with the construction of these windmills offshore. It has become a feature of uh, John Katsimatidis' special interviews that he does Sunday from 8 to 10 on the uh, Drive at 5 that he does with Rita Cosby. They focused on that. I've certainly focused on that in uh, the regular shows that I do, but most importantly with you, Nancy, in the Animal Welfare uh, Hour, and we'll continue to make that a priority. Now, an interesting guy I met this past week, uh, he's received a lot of attention. He runs the New York City Rat Tours. He's a TikToker, Kenny Bulwark. He actually works at a pizzeria by day in Sunnyside, Queens, not far from the old Sunnyside Gardens along the number seven train, originally from Nebraska. And people contact him from all over the world. One of the few reasons they come to New York City now is tourists to avoid getting lead poisoning from the shootings, all the craziness that's occurring in our city. But many of these tourists, they want to go on his rat tours. Uh, Can you describe 
how this has become a growing industry in New York City, the people all over the world from South Africa to Thailand to uh, Tashkent in Uzbekistan come here to go on this rat tour. So, yeah, when he apparently when he first came here to New York City, he was a bit uh, blown away by the volume of rats that he saw everywhere. So a bit in an attempt to alert, I guess, the city to where they were at in hopes that they, they might help eradicate this issue, he started documenting it. And so what he first did was he set up a TikTok page, and it was so popular, and it got so much of a, a feedback that people started requesting to actually go along with him on these tours. And then that's how this uh, like in-person uh, tour was born. So now he, he does the in-person tours. So it started out where it was like Empire State Building. So again, like the bottom floors, and you have like Central Park. Um, now he's in Columbus Park. But again, it's, it's just this um, – obviously people are fascinated with rats in New York City. I think the pizza rat thing he said really – you know, uh, got a lot of interest. <laughs> a lot of people started calling him after that. But for some reason, this is the equivalent of urban wildlife. So the same way that people associate pigeons with New York City, I think it's very particular to urban um, sort of living. And it's it's fascinating. Well, I understand the runway model can vapid as you are. And Matt Blaze, that is part of the Frank Morano crew, the other side of midnight that you can hear Monday through Fridays, one to five. They've apparently they have booked exclusively on their show the founder of the New York City Rat Tours, who's active taking tourists wherever the rats are. That's just the four-legged rats because Frank can guide you to the two-legged rats and organized crime like uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano. But he is going to have on, I believe, not tonight going into um, the morning, but Tuesday. Tuesday morning, he will have on TikToker Kenny Bulwark, originally from Nebraska, now making pizzas in Sunnyside, Queens. And that's something you can identify with, Nancy, because when you were going to Stony Brook, how many pizzas did you have to make a day for those spoiled, uh, privileged kids? I try to forget that memory, but, I mean, hundreds. (laughs) Hundreds a day. Yeah. You know, you and I, we should go on that rat tour. We really should. First of all, I'm, I, I wanted to be the rat czar. I'm nocturnal. That's when the rats are really out. You actually feed rats. People, when I say, you know, the, the way we feed pigeons, Nancy will see rats and she'll feel sorry for them and start feeding the rats and people go crazy. That's only if they're in the subway tracks. I feel bad for them. Right, but, but you've actually fed them and people give you the strangest looks. Yeah, they do. So what do you think? We should reach out to the Rat Tour guy from Sunnyside, Queens, Kenny Bulwark. You and I, we should go on that uh, that Rat Tour because I could compare notes with him. He's probably got more places than I have, but there's some places that I can probably introduce him to. It was funny. He actually compared it. He said when he first saw a bag that was filled with the rats, it looked like a beating heart. <laughs> that was a great sort of visual. Exactly. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Nancy is in studio uh, this evening. Uh, obviously, Dominic Carter uh, warming up uh, the uh, new uh, gargantuan ratings guy. This guy's ratings are going right through the roof. But I see they tried a rat mitigation program in Bryant Park. 
Now, I like Bryant Park because it's got probably one of only the one usable public lavatory in the whole city of New York that actually is nice, that they clean regularly. So I'm assuming that they gave this uh, a good try. What happened? Yeah, so of course, like most of their efforts, it was not really done well. So now, again, this is really the heart of, I think, how you approach any of these overpopulation issues. You're trying to somehow sterilize, uh, you know, whatever the focus is. So this is a great idea, how they started. Now, unfortunately, you know, so the the area that they started with, Bryant Park. Now, obviously, it's not contained. So you still have, you know, the surrounding streets. That's always going to be an issue. But they only put down two dozen of the bait stations throughout the park. You know the size of that. It's like a full city block. Uh, it cost $3,000, and they only did it for about a month and a month and a half, to a month and a half. And after it, according to them, didn't work. Now, again, they're, they're saying it didn't work even though there was less sightings, but they're not making that connection. They said, well, it didn't work, so we're just going to go ahead and scrap that plan. Now, anyone who knows how this sort of operates when you're sterilizing – you have to give it a little more time to really see the effect on the population. So the fact that they were willing to scrap this $3,000 plan, now just to give you an idea of, and the reason why the rat czarina <laughs> said that this didn't work, well, there's too many, there's too much garbage. So as long as there's garbage, none of these bait stations are ever going to work. So that's a little bit revealing right there. But last year when they tried to do the, when they bought all these garbage cans, they spent $22 million on on the garbage cans to try this plan. And they said, oh, we're going to collect it 50,000 times more than the other. Now they're cutting garbage service. So they spent that much on garbage cans, but they only were willing to give this a month and a half at $3,000. Like it just sounds so completely unintelligent to me. No, it is. It is. And obviously they want instantaneous results. I've said to the mayor and his staff, you can never defeat the rats. You can have daytime. Rats will be out at night. They're nocturnal. You'll never stop that. It's just you want to eliminate enough so that they're not coming out during the day when they when they freak people out. And and the concept of the bait stations is that it, it creates um, like a feeding station that's more attractive than them going to try to pick through the garbages. So in essence, you kind of are creating the, the same concept as like a cat colony. You're feeding them because this way they stay there and they're going to be the placeholders who don't constantly get pregnant. So again – to your point, it takes a longer time than a month and a half to work. So the fact that they scrapped it at $3,000 sounds ridiculous. They live in the underworld, the underground of New York City. Uh, they are nocturnal. And I hate to let everybody know that they've extrapolated uh, analytics to uh, figure that there are probably eight rats for every one citizen. A female rat generally will live a year, a little more than a year, and have within that period of time maybe seven litters of about eight to nine baby rats. So you can imagine how quickly their numbers can just explode. And again, the average life of a rat may be a year and a half, maybe two years. So it's not like they live that long. But, oh, boy, uh, they can have so many litters. That where you had two rats, you now have 200 rats very, very easily. So let's talk about there is a um, a thought now because I believe the beaver is a symbol that is on our city flag. I think it may even be on the state flag. Now, 
Uh, Matt Blaze, who would know about that Frank Morano, the schmuck who actually flies three flags outside of his house, a city flag, a New York City flag, a state flag, and he wonders why his neighbors think he's weird. But I believe the beaver is on the New York City flag between the Dutchman and the Canarsie Indian. That is a Canarsie Indian. They were the ones who sold Manhattan for $24 in trinkets to the Dutchman of Peter Stuyvesant. Not very good business people. But what are they trying to do to reintroduce beavers to New York? Well, actually, you are correct. They're the official state mammal of New York. That's why they're on the flag. So, wow. <laughs> so yeah, good, good observation there. Um, so what's being suggested now is – now, again, I wasn't aware of the incredible benefits that um, the, the beavers have apparently to the environment, but they are like superstars. So the idea is to introduce them into different waterways. Uh, if, for instance, Prospect Park, that's where they're trying to uh, do a little bit of a test um, pilot right there. And what they do is they decrease erosion because they gnaw on the trees, they gnaw on the vegetation surrounding – uh, the waterway, and that actually, um, you know, sort of prevents or decreases erosion. And then also it decreases flood risk during storm. Now, you think about, um, obviously, a lot of conversation in New York because of the amount of flooding going on, um, all of these methods. But again, here's another example of something natural that you can introduce into the environment, and it would be helpful. So, I mean, again, the fact that this hasn't even been on the radar as a possibility and the other thing that's great about them is the dams that they build uh, absorbs and filters heavy metals, pesticides, and fertilizers. So it actually cleans the water. So this is something that, you know, again, it's going to be introduced to uh, small waterways. I'm sure it'll take a time before the success is enough where they feel comfortable doing it, you know, sort of in grand scale. But this should be – this is how you create sort of green energy. This is how you create those things. It makes so much more sense to introduce animals than it makes to introduce any of these other options. Um, and again, it's, it's, I think once it's successful in Prospect Park, maybe you'll see a little bit more of a push to have it um, elsewhere. So, um, yeah, so again, I think, you know, again, it's, it's just starting out, but they also help build habitats in, in all their efforts too. So they're building habitats for ducks, fish, and reptiles. And so, I mean, talk about like an amazing animal that really can help New York. Well, let's talk about Jersey. We cross over the Hudson River. I couldn't believe the article. There are actually New Yorkers escaping New York. They continue on the exodus, and some of them are moving to New Jersey. And right away, they're going to be faced with high property taxes. So what does half in the bag Governor Murphy have to say to everyone complaining about property taxes in New Jersey? If you're a one-issue voter and tax rate is your issue. We're probably not your state. Probably not your state. <laughs> Maybe that's affecting the animals all of a sudden that seem to be deciding to run away from where they generally might be referred to by this governor as knuckleheads, knuckleheads, because he calls everyone a knucklehead. First, it was the alligator. I can't believe they had a marksman go into this pond where apparently there was a small alligator and they shot at the alligator. They thought they may have killed the alligator, but obviously it would have floated to the surface. They didn't. But after what, a week or 10 days, they actually discovered the alligator? Okay, this actually, this story is really crazy. So the alligator escaped, apparently. It was in Victor um, Crowell Park, 
it caused the park to close for 17 days because they couldn't find and, and they like you said they were trying to shoot at this so they had various sightings the cops were called now eventually when they did locate this believe it or not it was in uh, Piscataway which is 5.5 miles away from where this alligator initially disappeared the, the um, waterways are enough that it was 5.5 miles away and the police were called and they recorded their capture of this alligator this was a really crazy takedown that they <laughs> like it was like public enemy number one like stepping on this alligator's head you know i mean like it was and then finally it got transferred thankfully to a park but you would have thought this was like a the most dangerous animal in the world you know, for years uh, in the 60s, before you were born, uh, Nancy, before Frank Morano, the Mama Luke was born, uh, we used to go down to Florida to visit our relatives. You would take Old Dixie Highway, and all along the way, they would have people selling little baby alligators in little boxes with holes in it so the alligator can breed, but they were really tiny. So naturally, as a kid, you would see the little baby alligator. Oh, 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 daddy or mommy or whatever, auntie, uh, could I buy a little alligator? Sure. I mean, they're figuring alligators, probably a miniature alligator. By the time you'd get it up to Brooklyn or the Bronx, your mother would look at it and said, I think we need to put that in the bathtub. <laughs> it looks like it's growing. So from the sink to the bathtub, and then it gets big. So for a long time, people would then take the alligator and flush it down the toilet. And some of them would survive down in the sewers. But other people would take the alligators and they would go to a place like Prospect Park and they would put it in the pond or they would go to Central Park. Most times the alligators could not survive because it's a totally different environment, but sometimes they would. And in this case, they decided to shoot the alligator. The alligator had not bothered anybody. That they shoot and they missed. Yeah, yeah. Good, good marksman there, right? How do you miss an alligator? But anyway, they also had two goats who escaped. They didn't want to pay the property taxes of Murphy in New Jersey, so he said, "If you're not going to pay the property tax, you don't like it, then get the hell out of here." But goats can eat up a lot of the, 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 the sort of foliage uh, that grows, you know, the, the weeds. So what were these goats doing? Yeah, so these uh, goats were brought in from uh, an actual uh, – like a sanctuary. And this is their job, to eat the invasive weed species yeah. in a cemetery in Jersey City. And they've been doing this for a while. Now, apparently, this isn't the first time that they went missing. They escaped – uh, a couple months ago, they found them in a community garden. But this time around, <laughs> when they went missing, they started posting on social media with, with pictures and soliciting the, the public's help. And eventually they did find them. Um, and then when they found them, they said, we're going to cut short your visit. So all four of the goats, and apparently one sheep, <laughs> because one sheep came with the crowd, they all had to be shipped back to the sanctuary. And so that apparently their summer vacation is over now. People do not realize... <laughs> how good goats are at getting rid of uh, underbrush and weeds. They bring them every year from upstate New York to Riverside Park. Yeah. They bring them the Yonkers up near the golf course. Uh, they're, they're, there's always a lot of uh, undergrowth. They've had them out in Staten Island, and sometimes they don't want to leave Staten Island, and they're still there. I mean, you go to Clove Lake Park, 
We should we should assign Frank Morano to go find the goats there with Carmine. But they really are very, very important to getting rid of wheat, and they can consume a lot of that stuff too. I mean, think about all of the the places you travel throughout New York City, where clearly there's there's nothing being done to maintain <laughs> any greenery. Exactly. I mean, you could bring them in right there. Have them working all day. I mean, along the Bell Parkway, all these major parkways, they haven't uh, mowed uh, the grass. Put a few goats out there, right? That'll do it. By the way, uh, I see a German circus has replaced the live animals they used to have with holograms. Yeah, so the Rankali Circus. Um, Yeah, so now because of, you know, animal welfare concerns, in 1991, they stopped using lions and elephants. But as of 2018, they no longer use any animals, and what they do is they use holograms. So, you know, I mean, obviously they have this idea because they're saying that, you know, on a practical level, the circus environment really doesn't make sense anymore. The space required for the animals, it's not really um, allowable to showcase them. And again, I think the whole concept initially with, you know, circuses, same like with zoos, the rationale is, oh, we want people to be aware of the animals, but it's at the point where... You can't really showcase the animals in any way that's that people are feeling good about them. And they're walking away from these events saying, like, you know, feeling sad having seen these animals live. So by seeing them in the hologram form, like, people are actually enjoying this. They're great experience for the kids. Everyone who's going to these things are really enjoying them. And I think this definitely makes a lot more sense. It's the new wave of how you can introduce people to animals but at the same time, you know, this doesn't make sense anymore to have them in, in, this, in the circus environment. So kudos to them. And then lastly, before we go to the, call, uh, the callers, apparently there was a bear camera in uh, one of our national parks. And what was the result of that? Okay, yeah, this is great. So during, um, you know, in uh, Katmi National Park in Alaska, they have the webcams where people tend to watch, especially now because the bears are going into hibernation. So they have this thing, it's called Fat Bear Week. So people watch, and they're trying to see which bear eats the most before it goes into hibernation. So people were, you know, watching these live streams, and apparently someone had um, injured themselves, and they were able to crawl. Now, this is a place where, you know, there's no cell phone service, there's nothing in, in proximity, but this bear camera caught this person who was injured, who was calling into the camera right away, they tweeted at the, the park rangers. The park rangers were able to come and rescue this guy because of the bear cam. So, And so you're thinking, why don't we have them in the massive numbers of parks we have here, particularly the really big parks, Van, yeah, Van Cortland Park, Prospect Park, Central Park, the, you know, I would, Pelham I would, Bay Park. I mean, and, and then you can have people who can actually be, you know, like the eyes and ears, as they always say they want people to be. Well, you can be eyes and ears safely by watching it if you had a live stream. Well, you know who said no to cameras in the park? <laughs> Think again. No, it was not Eric Adams. It was Eric Adams 2.0, Bill de Blasio. I'll never forget I was in the park where they used to have the two gas tanks for Brooklyn uh, uh what was it? Brooklyn Gas, uh, whatever the hell it was. Uh, the do, the two big gas uh, cylinders. I remember those. Would, along the LIE. I remember those. In Maspeth. There's now a park there. Uh, they built a, a bathroom there. It costs a million dollars. I kid you not. A million dollars for a simple bathroom in the park. And some guy had vandalized the Vietnam War Memorial there. 
I mean, really vandalized the bed. And Councilman Bob Holden was there and his staff. And uh, we walked over to another church where they had vandalized the baby Jesus. It's basically a Filipino uh, congregation. I forget the name of it. But I remember talking with Councilman Bob Holden, as you know, a big animal rights activist. And I said, why don't they just put cameras up? Like they spent a million dollars, right, for a bathroom that's going to be vandalized. A million dollars for a porcelain palace. It's just basically steel. Why not cameras? And he said at that time, Bill de Blasio does not want cameras inside of parks. Now, I know there was a movement uh, a while back to put cameras in Prospect Park and Central Park. There's an area in Prospect Park which is uh, a place where gay men hook up, like the Rambles in Central Park. So they didn't want cameras there. They wanted to maintain their anonymity. But that's not a reason not to put cameras up in parks. You're not supposed to be having sex in parks. Guys, find another place to get it on. It's now legal, right? You don't have to hide in under the cover of darkness. But we really do need cameras in our parks. I mean, it would, We don't have them. Yeah, it would make people who are going to the parks feel more secure. I mean, certainly at nighttime, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I feel comfortable walking through the park at night and no one's there. Yeah, well, you, uh, whenever there's a half moon, a quarter moon, or a full moon, Lone Wolf One, that's your nickname. You're up on that that huge boulder, the entrance to the rambles, and you're like howling to the moon. <laughs> How do you pull that off? It's... Uh, That's Nancy's nickname, Lone Wolf One. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. We'll be going to your phone calls. The Animal Welfare Hour, exclusive to WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Let's go to the phones before the arrival of Dominic Carter. It's Michael uh, in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. I got on my phone a while back that uh, the money for the uh, killing of whales and porpoises is in the billions. And... This governor has blood on his hands. No, there's he's no. Driving, there's, he's driving these animals to extinction. I don't think there's uh, any doubt of that, Michael. He seems to be on a mission. He cares nothing about the whales, nothing about the dolphins, nothing about the birds who uh, are being negatively impacted by these windmills offshore. Uh, starting to uh, build uh, windmills now 13 miles offshore from Atlantic City and Brigantine. Brigantine. Uh, and that's just going to continue. And they're with foreign companies. What are the companies, Nancy? There's not an American company mm-hmm. 
I think there's Sweden, there's Norway, there's Denmark. Oh, no, yeah. Um, uh, they are from, yeah, Norway and Denmark are the big ones on the northeast shore by us. So, like, uh, Jersey, I think it's Osted. Mm, I think that's the name of the company. Let's go to Dave in Orange, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Dave. Hi. Hello, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Sliwa. How are you? Mrs. Sliwa, I hope your eyes have fully recovered. And just a quick note, it's Orsted, a Denmark-based company. Mm-hmm. They're looking for federal tax credits, so they're looking for more money, supply chain issues. and Exactly. Uh, Governor Murphy had signed the federal tax credit, which would be passed along to us rate holders uh, and given it to the company. And now the company is saying, uh-uh, we need more. There's also a BP in New York and Elsinore, and they're looking for an additional 54% from the people that pay their electric bills. So uh, I hope, I hope that, uh, that, that, their sanity prevails. And I hope your eyes are better, Nancy. <laughs> Thank you so much. They are. Uh, thanks for all that great updated information, Dave. You got to put a full court press on both uh, Governor Hochul and Governor Murphy. They are rushing ahead with these no-bid contracts with these foreign entities. And as he so aptly described it, uh, in the beginning of the process, they haven't even they haven't even constructed one windmill yet. And remember, they're the size of the Chrysler building in Manhattan. They want more money. Yeah, they they already have the pressure on to start charging more money. And we're already in trouble because the contract's already in place. So this has to be stopped right away. I mean, if you're saying 54% now, it's going to be 254%. It's going to be 2,000%. I mean, there's no cap whatsoever on how much they can charge. And once the switchover is made... We're going to have foreign countries that are telling us how much we're going to be paying. That's That sounds like a scary place. It's extortionary. There's no other way to describe it. Let's go to Joe in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Giuseppe. Yeah, you were talking about alligators, but, uh, you know, there's something on the historical mistreatment of uh, animals in the Roman Colosseum. They say over the course of its history, they killed about a half a million, give or take, humans. And they said, well, these weren't really people. Uh, but also one to two million animals were apparently killed in the in the entertainment. Uh, they had bears fighting packs of dogs, panthers, lions, all different type of uh, games where the uh, animals were uh, attacking each other. And they said this morphed into dog fighting was a big entertainment thing into the Middle Ages. And mind you, that's not, this is just the Colosseum, though. Uh, There was also other amphitheaters in ancient Rome, so this kind of stuff went on, this cruelty and uh, slaughter of uh, humans and animals. Well, notice, uh, Joe, it continues in some societies. They have the cockfighting, the rooster fighting. They clearly have dog fighting. They have rooster fighting and and uh, dog fighting in uh, New York City. It does exist uh, on a regular basis. Again, the ASPCA used to be very good at busting up those rings. There is a special division in the police department now that handles that. They are not up to the requirements that the ASPCA used to do. I remember being in Brownsville, Brooklyn, and watching a whole ASPCA unit 
move in on a dogfight that was taking place in the basement of one of these tenements. It must have taken out, hmm, had to be like 20 participants, humans, and then they took out all the dogs, some of them that had been badly shredded, injured, had it euthanized, if I remember correctly, about two. But the ASPCA used to do such an outstanding job. The, the men and women, uh, some of them were qualified to carry weapons. You would have to going into some of these places. They always seem to have more of an interest in animal welfare than the police do. I don't know of one man or woman that I've ever known that said, oh, I'm going to the police academy because I want to help animals. It's almost like you get assigned to that unit and you think you're going nowhere. There are no promotional opportunities. You're never going to earn your badge as a detective. Some of the things that are motivations for cops who are either doing their 20 years and then they're out of 25 years. It's like there's a special unit. Okay. Who are the people in that unit? Do they want to be there? I'm sure some of them do. But you never know about it. They never promote it. They never talk about it. They never have ceremonies involving honoring those uh, who um, who have gone out there and rescued animals yeah. who are police officers. And I think, um, obviously, part of the problem is you have to increase the penalties for these crimes because if, if you have someone, who, they can be charged with, I mean, to your point, like if they go into that ring, there could be 20 dogs that you're confiscating from this person who did this. But yet it'll be boiled down to, oh, yeah, 20 charges against animals, but it literally equate, equates to one charge. So, you know, until you start um, carrying some weight to that, and these people need to be locked up. There needs to be actual penalties because they're going right back out and doing it again. And unfortunately, the animals who do get confiscated most likely are going to be brought to the shelter and euthanized because they're going to be deemed, uh, you know, too aggressive. So it's a never-ending battle, but it starts with locking these people up 100%. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go to William in Massachusetts. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, William. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Nancy. I just wanted to share a story with you about a wonderful cat named Noah. He was a Maine Coon cat, and he belonged to my dear friend and neighbor, Stephanie. Back in 2020, the day after Father's Day, I found her deceased in her apartment. She was still warm and her eyes were open, so I called 911 and did CPR until the EMTs arrived and they revived her. But she passed the next day from sepsis due to internal bleeding. So the day after that, her sister, her elder sister, Kim, called me from Idaho and asked me if I'd care for Noah until she could find a no-kill shelter to take him. So I did that for about a week. And what a wonderful cat he was. And uh, and he found a good home after that. And I just wanted to share that story with you. All right? No, that's a, that's a lovely story. Lovely. Cat lovers everywhere. And what was that picture that you sent to me about Mark Twain? He had a kitty on mm-hmm. his shoulder. 
and it was something very poignant that he was saying about people who like cats around the world because there are people who like dogs. There are people who like cats. I like both. Uh, but in uh, uh, once I met you, I learned more about cats than I had ever learned before. Uh, but uh, there is this uh, poster. We should we should actually post it up, Nancy, on our social networking sites. When a man loves cats, I am his friend and comrade. Without further introduction, that's by Mark Twain. And you see a little kitty on his shoulder. And you, and you know, and it, this um uh, this is great actually. The situation where uh, someone can actually take in the cat when someone passes away because. Again, unfortunately, what happens by default is, um, you know, if someone hadn't been there, they would bring the cat to the shelter. And sometimes you just need that, that period of time. And think about it. I mean, some the pet is actually mourning the passing of their owner. So, you know, at a time when they, it could be easy for them to get shuffled into a shelter and be forgotten, to have someone there who's able to sort of soothe them during this time is a beautiful thing. So, you know, congrats. Let's go to Dorothy in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Dorothy. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Nancy. It's a real pleasure to speak to you. Um, I live in Monmouth County, and um, there's a lot of uh, construction work being done. Obviously, we sustained a great deal of damage from Hurricane Sandy with the um, floods. So um, today I noticed there was a big sign up which said the repairs are being done by Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, just wondering if, Nancy, you want to look into if there's anything going on between that bipartisan bill and the windmills and Murphy, all three of those connected. So um, I just wanted to give you that tidbit of information. No, thank you. Thank you. I will look into that. You appreciate that, Dorothy. Let's go from Dorothy in New Jersey to Bob in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bob. Yeah, good evening, Curtis and Nancy. You know, uh, I'm here in Bayside, and I grew up in Bayside. And I've noticed over the last number of years, and you folks were discussing this last week, I've seen a lot, lot less fewer squirrels and raccoons, which I used to see quite a bit of. And I was wondering if um, if you've got any kind of update on as to why uh, that's happening. No, no. In fact, we had promised that we would. Uh, Nancy, if you could prioritize that, we got involved in so many other things. But I had mentioned the last time it was a caller who lived up near Van Cortland Park on the border with Westchester and the Bronx. He, too, had said in his forays into that magnificent park, Van Cortland Park, it really is. It spans from the Bronx right into uh, Yonkers, that he was finding less and less squirrels. Our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, loves to feed squirrels in Central Park, nearby where he lives. He was uh, in uh, in the park with his uh, daughter, AJ, and they could barely find two squirrels in about 20 minutes' time to feed. So there's something definitely to this, and you're finding in Bayside, Bob, less squirrels than they normally existed before. And raccoons as well. I used to see, you know, not a lot of raccoons, but certainly on a regular basis at night, particularly like the night when people would put their trash out. And I I hardly see any at all. I'll tell you what, uh, we will double down on that. Uh, In fact, 
Let's make that a priority, Nancy. One more call. We'll go to Dave in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Dave. Hey, I'm a huge fan, Curtis. Your biggest fan. I love you. Um, speaking of raccoons, I, I live in, in Trenton near the, there's a big cemetery here. And there's nothing but raccoons. I think the guy from Queens chased them all down here because there are millions of them. And they're some of the ones you see during the day, they're the ones that have rabies. So you got to stay away if you see them because they're nocturnal. But anyway, one day I want to meet you, Curtis, and uh, you're the best. Keep it up. Now, we definitely will. And it is interesting. The big story is the migration of New Yorkers uh, joining the exodus, leaving New York State and New York City. And some of them stopping off along the way on their exodus and deciding to settle in New Jersey. So maybe that has happened uh, from Bayside to New Jersey, Middlesex County. I can easily see that. If people are leaving New York City and leaving New York State, why wouldn't raccoons leave and squirrels and possums? And Because, uh, you know, it's sort of like when you have a bear hunting season. You have it in Pennsylvania, and I know there's areas where it's you actually have Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania all in equal proximity. You'll notice that when the shots of the hunters are heard by the bears, they will herd together and head towards New Jersey. And then obviously when it's hunting season in New Jersey, they'll head to Pennsylvania. And then when it's hunting season in Pennsylvania, they'll herd and head to New York State. It's almost like instinctual now. It's amazing to watch. Anyway, uh, Nancy, if anybody needs any additional information about animal welfare issue uh, uh, items, uh, how can they contact you? They can go to guardianangels.org and go onto the animal protection tab or email me, nancy, at guardianangels.org. Excellent. Up next... Dominic Carter, who's killing it in the ratings. I mean, the guy, I mean, it's just skyrocketing. Uh, which uh, Matt Blaze and Kenneth here are scratching their bellies wondering, gee whiz, has he passed us? Yes, he has. He's passed a lot of our colleagues because he's doing good talk radio. <laughs> 